Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian. And joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Oh, man, I intercepted a signal from that LV-420. <laughs> I went there, and they had, like, alien buds, man. <laughs> it was like space weed every day. <laughs> was that you talking it about? Was, uh, it was like, it was alien buds. Yeah, it, like, jumped on my face, but I was high as fuck. Oh, so they just like slipped off. I don't know, man. It's Alien Covenant. I, I'm. I'm I heard it wasn't very good. I heard it wasn't very heard good. Correctly. It, yeah. Okay. If you if you let go of everything that you know about the Alien franchise, really, it's a not bad movie. But isn't but this like a prequel? If you try to plug to it the... into the lore, nothing makes sense. What? Yeah, it's sort of a prequel. What? Okay, we'll we'll get into that later. Later. Because yeah, I that could just do an hour on no this sense. alone. But yeah. Also joining us. Well, is your... okay. Let's put it this way. <sighs> If, yeah. if they know if they have androids on every one of these ships and they know that they're shipping out with an android, then why is it like a hundred years in the future whenever Ripley and company have Ash on board? Everybody's freaking shocked that there's an android with the crew because they always have a synthetic. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. Uh, I don't That's know. a minor thing. Yeah. Uh, also joining us is your co-host Hunter. Tonight's show brought to you by Casa, or a.k.a. Space Corn, for all you Stargate fans. Dear Lord, I turned you down, and yet you're still giving me all the green lines. Oh, my God. <laughs> Casa, the only way to get high in space. It's that space bug, man. I'm trying to, flip, I'm trying to fiddle with the levels, folks. Uh, and also Seriously, Casa, it's, it's, it's like a drug. It, it really is. Oh, uh, really? You're I thought it was co- corn. Your co-host it is, Spaz. But it's like your genetic. Co-host Spaz. Game over, man. Game I, over. Oh my god. Yeah, we forgot about him. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't forget about Dre. He's 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 the new one. Uh, wait, who are you talking about? <laughs> don't forget about Dre. You forgot can about you, Dre, didn't you, you, Brian? Can you forget about Dre if you never Dre? knew Dre in the first damn place? So are we talking about Doctor Dre? The, the, the yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> That's right, know. 420, never forget. Also joining so, us from, I hope I say this right. <laughs> what was I talking Nan- about? Nanaimo, Nanaimo? It's Nanaimo, right? Nanaimo. Nanaimo. Nanaimo, uh, BC in Canada, the co-founder and everything designer, which is the title you gave me, at Jellyfish Games. Am I remembering that right? Because I didn't write that one down. It's Jellyfish Yeah, Games. yeah, it was Jellyfish Games. Right. Uh, Dave Williams here to talk about uh, they recently successfully kickstarted. Congratulations on that, by the way. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's either going to be a, a victory podcast or a defeat podcast, so it's good it, it came out the former, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry we couldn't get you on earlier during the Kickstarter, but I like to have several in the uh, several several uh, bullets in the uh, chamber. Yeah, <laughs> as but, it were. but hey, since since now you got all that dough. But it worked I'm out about tree fitty. Yeah. I mean, I would I would have loved to have talked to you during the Kickstarter, but uh, it, it it worked out anyway. So yay! Uh, so let's let's start with what uh, Astro Base Commander is for folks who might not know. I'm sure most of the people who are watching probably do know and are fans. But for those who might be listening to the audio show and not know what Astro Base Command is, what uh, give us like the rundown, the bullet points, the elevator pitch of what Astro Base Command is, please. Yeah, okay. So uh, Astro Base Command is a, a space game, obviously. Uh, been in development about three years. 
And the idea is that you build a space station uh, in a sandbox and you populate it with characters who are people and then interact in, in a very deep way, in a way that like really hasn't been done before in other games. So it's, it's about managing the space station and really like managing like the personalities of the people on the space station, because like, that's what sci-fi should be about. It shouldn't be about, you know, really like the lasers and the set pieces and the huge explosions. Like that's not drama. Like drama comes down to how people interact. So that's, that's the focus of the game. You make you make a good point. Cause I'm reminded of the early days of Star Trek, the next generation where uh, Gene Roddenberry was saying, oh, these people are too evolved to have drama, you know? And so the writers were, like, figuratively killing well, themselves, trying to write good stories without yeah, well, interpersonal there's no drama. Money. Uh, no money, no drama, right? <laughs> no money, no problems. But it, yeah. but it worked out. I mean, it was, it was a TNG. It was a great series. After Roddenberry died. <laughs> yeah, that was a great series. Well, that's, that's what it takes. <laughs> At least that's my yeah, thought. It, yeah, but Star well, Trek, if it was written today, it would be all about like copyright problems and intellectual uh, property and like what is that, you are. Is that what Discovery is going to be? They, they go, they totally. go out the frontier to be, find the yeah, intergalactic it's be like FCC. A <laughs> it's a replicator thing, right? It's like you can you can make anything, but uh, don't copy anything like with intellectual <laughs> property or whatever. No, because right? then like space piracy is not what you thought it was going to be. It's actually <laughs> the replicator and we're making sweaters and tennis shoes and music. I don't know. No, if they did, if they did Star Trek today, it would be like generic story that was skin Star Trek. That's it. Oh, that's going to be discovery. And the Klingons will not look right no matter what. Cause how many times can we reboot the Klingons? This is like the fourth Klingon reboot. Well, I remember they covered one of those in one of the uh, TNG episodes where they said like they had like a virus that made them all messed up looking in yeah. the original series. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they were able to like retcon the original series to make it like make sense. However, comma, this is clearly a reboot with Discovery. Uh, yeah. I- I want a, I want a fantastic voyage episode where they have to shrink the the enterprise down and inject it into somebody's like inner like, space. Blood. Yeah, exactly. And then they have to like I love that movie. Their, their yeah, you know what that would be? That would be that would be a Star Trek the motion picture remake. It would be like the oh. reboot of Spock's brain, but they would be in Spock. We should not get on this subject of Star Trek, folks. I'm sorry. We were here to talk about the game, but, you know, you can tell we're passionate about it. it, But but it's the 70s, man. It's 70s Trek. That's true. It was a shame that there wasn't, like, there was supposed to be a Phase 2 in the 70s of Star Trek on TV. And it might have looked a lot like this. Um, But it never happened. And then we got Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was kind of that. And then, so I so I have a question about Star Trek the Motion Picture as oh it relates God. to the game. Okay. Like the uniforms on the space station. Oh boy. Because you're setting this like in the seventies, right? <laughs> so are the uniforms in the space station gonna be like super cool loungewear or, or what's going on? <laughs> well you can you can see them right now. That's that's what the They the kinda do look like are. that. They kinda do look with a lot of white and stripes. Yeah. Space pajamas and a weird accoutrement. Like what was that in in the original motion picture? They never used those uniforms again, thank God. But remember those like weird belt things where it was just the buckle, but it was part of the shirt. Oh yeah. What was that about? 
You know, like I think that that was actually a fat so, burning thing. That's so seventies. Like remember the uniforms in the black hole? Very similar. Stripey. Oh, yeah. That Palomino man. Yeah, very stripey. Seventy <laughs> sci-fi man. <laughs> yeah, I, but that's why I love it. Okay, so that's that's the thing. Like with Alien: Isolation. Okay, speaking, yeah. of, we're back to aliens, and you know, this does kind of share a look with that. Um, yeah. Well, well, the thing about Alien: like I, Isolation I love, sorry, is that they went back to the retro future. Right. Where it was big clicky buttons and and like CRT monitors and cassette tape. Right. It's like we store data on an eight track tape. And, you know, it it just, I I love that crap. I'm a sucker for that. And that's why this game, I was like, "Mm, 70s space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We need more. Please, please, please. Nothing from that terrible movie, Space Station 76. Oh, I I was about to bring that up. I heard that was terrible. I heard it was not even. It was bad. And I even yeah, I actually terrible. didn't see it. Oh, yeah, you, you should it, watch it, it definitely. Just for the <laughs> aesthetics that are in it, the aesthetics are amazingly great, right? Because they nailed the '70s stuff, but the story is just not. No. So, so I do have a couple questions about that. Then, why the '70s? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of reasons for why the '70s, but why your reason? Your reasons why the '70s, and. Uh, did like how much research did you guys do to capture that look? Because what I've seen on the videos looks very like late sixties, early seventies, like as it should. So- yeah. So, so uh, to preface the answer, like have to give all the credit to our artist Daniel, who's who's responsible for everything you see. Um, but like to me personally, the the reason behind the seventies was that it was it was before technology kind of picked a winner. So the devices like you use in the devices you use in your life today are, are totally informed by like the history of like computer electronics on Earth in North America. And, and if you want to do a game like Astro Base Command, where like the player can make their own species and do whatever they want, you want to avoid like these Earthisms, right? Like you don't want like Earth technology on a space station where you make your own species. So we kind of went back to kind of the genesis of technology and tried to fork it in different directions, as opposed to like the direction of consumer electronics where, you know, you have like the PC revolution and then like the internet revolution and then like the social media revolution. And it could have gone entirely differently. Like that's all just specific to earth. So that's why we went back to the sixties and seventies was before like those winners were picked, I guess. Well, that's and I also think a, that's a good that point. The, the technology that was in science fiction influenced the actual devices that we made, like the flip phone, right? That's yeah. so Star Trek. Um, the, the iPad. The iPad. Yeah, yeah. All, all these things, right, was, was just like, this is stuff that the, the sci-fi authors cooked up, and then somebody was like, you know, I could make that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly true that, that I, those I things are, are Earth devices, and that's yeah, when I think Earth the sci-fi Earth. actually establishes the consumer hunger for it, and you, then you're just like, yeah, everybody wants one of those, and we could make that. Yeah, Did you I, see the the tricorder thing? There was a, a contest for that. No, yeah, and that. apparently there it works. It's very basic, but apparently it actually works, and it's a it's a very simple device that only does a few things but it's it does a few things like monitor certain diseases and whatnot that are very common in the part of the world that the 
contest was trying to fulfill. So apparently it's going to be awesome. And that's I think like, it just make a thing that like detects VD at about five feet. Then <laughs> the world would be a safe yeah, place. It's called, it's called tattoos. That's what oh, it's called. Oh, yeah. hey. No. I've got three of those. Anyway. Well, um, there you go. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway. Well, do you have a tramp stamp, Brian? <laughs> I do not. I do not. So you don't have like Jimmy Doohan no. on the, No. I, I it's, plan like I, a, it's like it's like a free, it's a free space logo like right there at the top of the ass. Crack. I'm actually getting the free space logo on my arm. That's my next tattoo is that. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. On my arm. Nicole's not happy about it, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah. Um, so you talked about aliens. So how, like, so this is not just humans. Because uh, unfortunately, folks, if you're watching the video, we're not playing the game. Uh, there are no playable builds yet because it's still super duper early. So uh, this is a video they made. So, um, so they're going to be aliens. And someone actually asked in the chat, will uh, the alien races you were talking about require like universal translators, like the microphones in Star Trek, or is it going to be like a TARDIS slash communicator next gen thing where everyone just speaks English? Uh, Yeah. So two answers. Uh, The first one is that like the player creates whatever alien race you want to create using our tools. So that's all player created. Like everything's player created. Um, And yes, everyone kind of speaks English. Okay. That's, that's fair. I mean, for now, for now. now, I mean, there's, you know, there's a science fiction uh, precedent to it where, like, oh, we're all in range of the universal TARDIS and everyone could just understand each other. Or a Babelfish. Thank you, Valorian. Yes, the Babelfish. So, you know, yeah. there is precedent yeah. for it. Yeah, there's also the, the practical reason, which yeah. is that the, the characters have conversations, right? So, like, the conversations kind of have to be in English because that's, that's the language of, of my, <laughs> my native home. Uh, right. And it would be right. So there's, there's that consideration. So, so when you like, bu- sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Now I was going to ask, cause I, uh, I want to talk about like the two, the two main parts of this game are the two parts I really want to learn about the space station building and the interpersonal relationships. So when you're building a space station, what like makes up the core parts of a space station when you're first building it? Uh, right. So really it's, it's the power is kind of the, the core of it. So there's a couple of them. There's the power. Um, and then there's the, like the quarters and the jobs that the characters have to do. Um, and there's really like resource management. So kind of everything in the station, um, consumes resources of some fashion or another, um, you know, whether it be water or oxygen or, uh, uh, like conduit fluid, or uh, like radioactives for your reactor. And then kind of the, the management aspect is managing those resources. So uh, in terms of like what's core to the station, really it's, it's, it's uh, optimizing yourself for that resource management game on the station, um, kind of like through the characters, because the characters on the station are the ones that are like doing everything. Nothing happens by magic. Like if you need some resources moved, like from your storage unit to your reactor to burn it, then like someone has to get that request to go like you have like a custodial guy who has to go like move those resources along. So I'm um, really like that's kind of the core of it. Um, like the fundamental the fundamentals of like what you need or you need like the the people management stuff. So you need like the dining halls, um, the quarters, and then like the places for them to work. 
uh, and, you know, the repair places, the maintenance places, the storage places, and then a couple other things like um, we have like a main computer mechanic uh, and so forth. So, so there have been other games that were like uh, space station and space colony things. In fact, there's a game space colony. Um, and then uh, there was, uh, Oh gosh, what, it, what was the name? That one that, that uh, mucky foot made in the two thousands. Startopia. Yeah. Startopia. Right. And start Startopia was kind of cool, but it, but it, it's basically all these things were kind of like Sim city in space sort of an environment or, or a mix of like that or dungeon keeper, I think in Startopia's uh, thing. So is this is this kind of like going to be like seventies space Sims kind of deal, or or what, what's going to differentiate you from that other stuff? Uh, really, the the focus the focus on the character personalities is a huge differentiator. There's also the the schemorphic GUI with the desk, where like the player the player is in the game world as like a legitimate part of the game world you're not playing the gui you're you're playing objects in the game that characters also happen to use in the game um and then there's also like the 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 depth of the simulation and the resource management so like another example is that usually in these games if there's a resource that resource has value because some designer said it was like plus 2 to this plus 1 to that and that's what that resource is. It basically is just like a, an ID flag, if you will, to build a certain thing out of it. Um, in Astrobase Command, the resources all have like different like materials properties um, that that are the thing that you that you need to manage. So like you know, there's fluids, there's solids, there's you know things that react with other things. There's perishables and there's contaminants. So like when you when you set up your station, like the logistics part of it is like you know how do I how do I uh, manage these different resources in such a way that like, you know, if I have a conduit and the conduit breaks and it leaks a fluid, like that fluid could potentially contaminate other things because it happens to be a contaminant. And then like, you know, the, the game about having, you know, the, the guy who's assigned to repair um, things in his area, like maybe he's having a bad day um, because he's getting a lot of fights with his coworkers and then kind of like that kind of realistic chain of events mm-hmm. where things break down because of the drama and not because, you know, it's like some malfunction gets things started, but what could have been like a routine fix ends up taking a lot of twists and turns um, through the story. And that's, that's the things that, that really excited me about watching, you know, sci-fi shows when I was a kid and, you know, what, what seems to be like lacking in games and also sci-fi movies and shows today um, is really like the, the, the narrative drama aspect and how that, how that affects like the day-to-day lives of the people on the station. And also, yeah. No, it's interesting you bring that up because um, I don't know if you watch Doctor Who, but on a recent uh, episode of Doctor Who, that's kind of how the end of the world started. Not with like a big thing of nukes with the generals, but like this little tiny mistake in the lab, you know? Yeah. I watched a season, but not, but not that one. I don't think it's the most recent one. So uh, it just came out. Um, but yeah, no, I love that idea because that is something, you're right, that is something that's not explored enough in science fiction. It's always the generals, the admirals, the lasers. It's not like the little guy that forgets to twist the nozzle all the way at the end of his shift because he's tired and, you know, all the oxygen leaked out or something. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And not just like the the obvious ones like being tired but like the whole gamut of like human personality and like 
all the oh. reasons like you might have a crappy day are the reasons that like they could have a crappy day like in the game or a great day uh, or, you know, have really like the whole spectrum of kind of human experience, you know, is what we try to what we try to capture. So so how like how do you do that? Because there's a lot of variables going into a personality. So like how do you calculate like love, hate, you know, anger toward other uh, toward other people on the station? Like how is that all calculated? Uh, yeah, well, first, first to explain how other games do it. So other games do it by having a stat. And just like you have like a health stat or you have like a, I don't know, like a strength, vitality, intelligence, right? So they take that and they just rename it to like mood or like happiness. And then like that stat just like does a thing. Um, and then the thing that it does is, is it's exactly the same as like you took physical damage. Well, now you took like mood damage, but with Astrobase Command, we spent a lot of time um, doing something different, which is essentially like I like to think of it as like um, a geometric personality system, where there's a whole uh, uh, there's a whole system behind it, where um, really there's like math and uh, details that that go into making a system so that you could take all these different data points and kind of equate them in a very regular way. And then like know exactly what the outcome is. Like that was totally the focus of development. So like, how did we do it? Well, we, we spent a lot of time uh, making it work, I guess is the answer. That sounds really awesomely detailed. We have a question from the chat. Um, Quote, how meta will the game cater to NBC life NPC, sorry, not NBC, NPC lifestyles? Are players building objects in, mo- objects in the modules to fulfill their happiness or building modules from a list such as bathroom to, uh, uh, to, and the happiness is fulfilled just by its presence? That's a good question. Well, yeah, so modules are designed um, by sections. So like when you see the the round kind of disk modules, it's really built up from one to four internal sections. So you can kind of like pick and choose what comprises a module as part of the module build in the sandbox mechanic. Um, right now, what exists in the game is just kind of the, the basic stuff to keep the station simulation running. But absolutely in our alpha and beta phases, there are plans to add um, all sorts of things that have um, more personal- personality interaction that that now exists. So right now, the personality stuff is with the jobs and with uh, interpersonal uh, interpersonal relationships and their interactions with each other. Um, but yeah, moving forward, absolutely um, different types of sections to do different things depending on the personality of the character. Like that's all totally within the scope of the system. Uh, and then also... Like, uh, you know, so what, what you want out of a game like this is it like, imagine there's a, like some sort of reactor fire or something. And then like an I beam like falls on the dude and he's pinned. And then like someone else happens along like to try and help. Like, what does he do? Does he save the guy first? And if he does, like, how does he save the guy? Or does he decide to like go fix the reactor because that's more important to stop it from maybe causing a bigger problem? Or does he like, shut down the module entirely deliberately kill the guy, but like also like save the, the room. And like, that's, that's like an endless kind of pop. Uh, that's like an endless space of like the different types of decisions that you could make. So, so the point of having the personality system 
is really parameterizing that in such a way that they can kind of make these emergent decisions on their own that aren't handwritten by us, the designers. Um, and they're kind of like, they're, they're kind of doing the thing that their personality would have them do. Um, so that's kind of the, the focus of it. Um, that's the next phase that we're adding in, in, I guess, alpha or beta, or when we decide to do it um, in the future, depending on, of course, the realities of game development. But the system's absolutely set up to do all sorts of things like that because it's a generic personality system under the hood. So yes, all, all plans are on the table, I guess, is the, the answer. Or, or on the desk. As yes, <laughs> on, on the desk. Yeah, I'm liking this desk, especially like the Atari cartridges. I love it. I got to say, I love the whole idea of the desk that just instead of like you giving having this god eye uh, view you know, of your station, like a lot of other games, you're actually like on the station, which is, yeah. Really well, nice. it, and it's awesome because it zooms in you can actually, you know, watch the people walking around the rooms and stuff. So have, have you played any rim world at all? I have not. Oh, uh, okay. I would strongly suggest that you play some rim world, not, not to, you know, like influence your game or anything, but, but it is kind of, it's a thing that's in a similar kind of vein, except you start with like three survivors, right? From a yeah. crash or whatever. And the, the big thing in there is that they also have personality traits and you have no control over that. So some, sometimes people like each other. Sometimes they don't, um, you know, you, you might have like one person is like, with another and then they fool around with the other, you know, like another colonist joins the the group and then like, you know, there's, there's like lover problems um, just, and all kinds of emergent, just weird stuff happens too. Um, but it's largely out of your control. You just kind of tell them like, Oh yeah, you should make, you know, do these things with your environment. But it's uh, other than that, it's kind of ant farm. So you just watch them do their thing. And I'm kind of getting that vibe here, although your graphical fidelity is like a thousand times better than their stuff. So. Yeah, I took a look at the like some some gameplay videos of RimWorld and uh, read their wiki a bit because it's a it's really a fantastic wiki on how their um, how their systems are put together. Um, and they definitely use like the the stat based um, the stat based personality system. Um which, which, you know, we're trying to, to do the next level, I guess, as opposed to that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like, and like, it's, it's, you see this, like, have you played a uh, darkest dungeon, for example? Yes. I know it's not, but like, yes. you know how, you know how they have personality traits, mm-hmm. but those personality traits are like plus five accuracy or like minus three, whatever. Like that's not really a personality. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's more like, ability scores more so than right it's like tendencies right they'll do what they're good at yeah it's like a buff or a debuff um that that's happened to be skinned with like a personality-ish name um which you know is a lot of fun like i played the hell out of darkest dungeon but um really like there's there's kind of a next level to that um which is what we're, we're trying to get at and and rimworld does does the same thing as well like i was really surprised about how much mileage they got out of that um because they do a thing where um, it, it is a bunch of stats essentially that are interacting in very statish ways, uh, such mm. as like mood and um, like you can go look at their their wiki and it says like this is like the the personality stat and then like you know plus five psych breakpoint and then psych breakpoint does this other thing like that's totally that's basically a combat system 
but you've taken all of the elements of a combat system and then renamed them to things that sound like a personality. Yeah. And it doesn't right. really, it doesn't really dictate like how the different characters are going to interrelate with each other either. Where if it, like as a space station manager, you know, you, you have to deal with those like ugly people problems. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, there's always the airlock. Yes. <laughs> and that actually is an option. Uh, we've talked about it on the Discord, on, on the Astrobase Command Discord, actually. Wait, yeah. what? Wait, wait. Elaborate, please. <laughs> if you could just, like, Dave, arrange I'll accidents. I'll, I'll well, that let would, you talk about this. Well, that, oh, that would be a thing, though. Like, don't get caught doing it. But you could quote just unquote accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know why that module just decoupled from the station. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember this conversation. What was it about, Spaz? Uh, that that uh, when you have people who are just not cooperating with others, they're, they're just literally not playing well with others, you can airlock them. Oh, uh, geez, baby. I don't know. I don't know if that's a well, feature could- yet. Well, do you have the option to just fire them, like send them home on the next shuttle? Uh, actually, no. There is no firing option in. It's uh, oh, really? It's basically yeah, yeah. So we we haven't quite uh, uh, gotten to to that, I guess, gameplay issue. So the idea is that you know, once you recruit someone onto your station, like you're kind of stuck with them. And then obviously, because uh. it's a sandbox game, there are like Sims, very Sims-ish way to like get rid of people you don't like. Um, and I guess that's, that's the airlock option, but yeah, this is, this is the futuristic HR department where it's, you know, much easier to hire someone than to fire them. Oh, so you have to be, that makes you much more careful. I would think about who you hire. You can't just, Oh, they have this one stat I like, but everything else is terrible, but they, they clean buckets. Good. I'm going to hire them to yeah. clean buckets, even though they hate everyone, but you, you don't, don't want to do no. that. You don't want to do that because yeah, that's exactly it. You, you like we don't we want players to be really emotionally attached to the characters. Like that's that's such a primary oh. um, a primary thing, right? Oh. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of decisions that kind of flow from the idea how do we how do we get players attached to their characters? And kind of the classic counterexample is that if you've played um, the new XCOM, that like like they they have characters and their characters have personalities quote unquote personalities and they have abilities. But at the end of the day, when you assign people to your squad, you're like, well, what's his class? What's his ability list? Like you don't find, you don't form any like emotional bond with any of the characters. And it's so true for RPGs in general, that there's like no emotional bonds that you have. So we unless, really, you name, unless you name your guys after your friends. Yeah. But that's not really an emotional bond with <laughs> yeah. the character. That's an emotional bond with your friend. That's entirely outside of the game. So, kind of, so, but like if he does it just so he can get the uh, your friend killed, I guess. Yeah, maybe. But but that we also don't have renaming uh, in the game either. Mm. So so for that reason. Thoughts. Um, for, first off, I would like to see robots in here, like some great mm. '70s robots, like the Lost in Space kind of you know, like a walking garbage can kind of robot or or whatever, just kind of low tech, high tech stuff. Um, if you could if you could get them in or, you know, like, I guess, well, I don't think they would be like a recruit in there. It could just be like a fixture of the station, you know, like you build a robot room and that's where it goes to recharge or something and, uh, or whatever. But also, um, it, like pulling from stuff like space station 13, 
where like perhaps one of the people that you hired is not who he appears to be, right? Like he might be an assassin or something or a saboteur or uh, could be uh, a synthetic. And no yeah, absolutely. Knows. Absolutely. There's uh, uh, designs for a security game that's that's actually exactly that sort of idea where where it's up to the like you as the player kind of set the the security organizational structure like where the checkpoints are and what's going on Mm. but you know the characters are the ones doing the investigation uh in the analysis of kind of uncovering these sorts of things yeah well Um, because that 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 gets really weird right like if we discover like well like uh the movie the thing right it's like Oh crap! It turned out Johnson was an alien. It could be any of us. <laughs> and yeah. then you you have like the whole personality matrix immediately melts down, right? And well, your game would probably turn into a bloodbath disaster at that point. But um, yeah, I, that would be a terrible thing to do to a player, though. Like if they're if their stations like humming along really good, and then you know some somebody like sniffs an alien artifact that they shouldn't have, and <laughs> <laughs> and then like the the dreaded like the thing plague breaks out in the ship right like it could be any of us and the paranoia sets in yeah absolutely uh one of the cool things about about the personality system that we have is that it would be up to you to put don't put like a reckless guy on a mission who might do that sort of thing like if you as the player want to be super cautious then you have to like send someone who's super cautious that, you know, like, like Bob isn't the sort of person that will recklessly, you know, poke some alien eggs and like John is. So let's not send John on this mission where, you know, maybe I'm concerned about this thing. And then also like the, the sandbox aspect of having, you know, being able to build decontamination rooms or, you know, having, having ways of detect it coming in the front. Cause you're absolutely correct. You don't want to screw the player. And one of the biggest right. things that screws the players in this sorts of games is you have like a, like a random number generator that like throws an event at you. And it's like, not because you did anything wrong. And maybe it's because the game thought you were doing too well, that it throws some crisis at you. That was just because the game said, Oh, now it's time for a crisis. And like, yeah, which is very much the director thing that, uh, that RimWorld does. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, it needs to get interesting now. Let's have an attack happen or something stupid. Yeah. Well, like the, I have to admit, focus, I hate that. I hate that. I'd rather have problems be more natural and fluid and organic, rather than oh, you just have need a problem now. It's been too long since the last one. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. So, like everything in Astro Base Command is is about like like the emergent effects of things that you decide to do, and there's like really a very deliberate avoidance of RNGs like everywhere in the system. Thank you. We try to avoid having RNGs. Thank you. Wherever we can. Thank you. And, <laughs> I'm going to admit I love but, stuff. But will that's there like, be cannibalism? Uh, no, no, that's, that's not. No, no. I, I I love games that have like procedural generation, but to a point. Like, I I don't want like the entire fate of my game session to be on the roll of a dice. And I'm not trying to mention a specific game, but take that as Art, you will. Versus. I'm not. No, no, no. That's not. That's not. <laughs> but I think this is this is a word problem too, because like so many words in in games are diluted way past their original meaning. So like I've seen 
you know, if something has a, a dice roll, then suddenly you can call it procedural, you know, or if something, if someone has like a, you know, a very, a very simple piece of logic, suddenly it has AI. And, and this really mm-hmm. like is, is the fault of the way the industry's going. You know, I, I'm from an MMO background and back, you know, in, in the MMO space, the, the thing was a living, breathing world. How many MMOs have you seen that said living, breathing world when actually that's not at all what it is? It's, it's a bunch of static quests that are written by writers and, you know, <laughs> you, you follow in like a very linear path, right? It's a very linear path through a quest chain, but it's a living, breathing world. And I think exactly the same thing is happening with words like sandbox, with words like procedural, with words like AI. Yeah. So like that's another thing to consider. Well, I wanted to bring something up because this kind of ties into a, a question slash discussion going on on YouTube. Uh, one of the word, some of the words I think that have lost some of their meaning are early access, alpha, beta. Like, I don't think a lot of players understand what they mean anymore. And there was a user on YouTube that asks forty two dollars for an alpha of the game. What? And they're like, why do customers need to spend pay so much? to beta test a game like they're using two different words in the same like paragraph which is ridiculous already sorry trauma but it is ridiculous why pay so much to beta test a game when the developers should be doing it themselves and even though someone came to the defense and said you know developers should not be beta testing their own game which is absolutely true they also said they thought the price was too high so that kind of leads into my question because you're charging people $42 for this, uh, for the for the for the uh, privilege of playing it right now, why that price? Yeah. So first of all, it's forty two Canadian, which is oh. thirty one American. Is it? Well, that's, yes. I don't even think forty two American is unreasonable for a good game. But there no is wondering a... people come here to shop the values. <laughs> America and bargains. Ah. <sighs> uh. But yeah, uh, how did you come to that price point for uh it is an alpha. It's like pre-alpha. It's like not even any it's not even alpha right now, right? It's like not yeah. even yeah. it's like not even playable right now. So it's like there isn't even an alpha. So hey, what I, if what if it wasn't just a space station? It was a space mall because it's the <laughs> 70s. It's a it's a right? transformer. Oh my god, can yeah, we no, have like no, the, it, would, it it could just be like a mall, right? It'd be like oh my space god. space pennies. I would totally do that. And mm-hmm. as, as long as you have those crazy fountains. Remember the crazy fountains you'd oh find in malls? Oh my god, yes, the fountains. The, the fountains with the, the with the, and they were with always, the crazy sculptures. Yeah, and they were always playing lounge music. Yes. You know? Music oh, all yes. the time. Okay, anyway. All right. All right. Now Sorry. we have a list of demands. Also, <laughs> I I okay. need I I'm need lava down. lamps. I need uh I need neon tubes filled we need, with ice. I need, um, need a Chick-fil-A. Hand, hand chairs. Hand chairs. I've seen, I've seen oh, something yes, that looks chairs. like a lava lamp. I've seen something in game that looks like a lava lamp. <laughs> oh, really? Lamp. And, and, need, and all, the, all the cool chairs need to be, or like the, the relaxation I chamber. guess this would be like the Arboretum like slash spa. Egg, egg, egg chairs. Oh, my <laughs> God. The egg chairs. So <laughs> we, need, we, need, we, need like, we need like a command room. The Mork and Mindy like chair. Around the table. Dude, Dude I'm from there. I am from there. Okay, and, and, and the, color, the color pattern needs to be oranges and browns. Like there, that's Earth there, things. though. Look at the video. Right. There's a lot of oranges I, and browns. I know. I, I it's know. Great. It's great. It's perfect. It's headed that way. And and I love uh, it. and we need like instead of a hollow deck, it's the disco deck. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, and because that's where you go for staying alive. Well, really, it's it's the it space rock. Like, I think we're we're more space rockers rather than space discourse. Oh, okay. Uh, so so no, that's will we fine be too. able to make the mothership connection? Like like uh, maybe like with like, the P funk and the, like the space eagles. And, and, oh my and, god, dude! It would be so great if <laughs> if one of the artifacts in the game is you find the funk. Yeah, and then <laughs> got Have you seen? Have you seen? gets his groove back. <laughs> <laughs> Boot, Bootsy Collins comes to visit the station. <laughs> oh oh man, great. and it yeah. Oh my god! So that's you could a, have like. Funk invaders that come on the station, and let's they're people to, in silver suits, and they have like high heel boots. Let's get back to the price I'm, for a second, I'm, though. I'm I mean, sorry, it's I do 70s. want to get to now, the how price. How much is that in seventies money, though? Oh, I know how much. That's like ninety dollars. It's like ninety. I know, right? It's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> no, I wanted to. And the ask, game's coming um, on an Atari tape too. It'll. Uh, well, let's talk about the price, and then I have another question. So, what? How did you get to that particular price? I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm just saying oh, we, some people brought it up, so I'm, I'm curious as to why that particular price. Uh, yeah, well, we're all we're all gamers too, so we wanted to pick something that both you know gave value for mm. the game we were making, but yeah. also you know uh, was a reflection of the work that was put into it, right? Because you know we're definitely like like you, you see games and it's like 120 bucks and you play it and you're like this is nonsense, this is not right. a twenty dollar game, but by the same token, like you know. There's there's way too much development into this really to justify it going lower uh, than it is. And, I and mean that, we've been we've been in development for four years now, and you know it's you need to pay you need to pay the price of what it costs to make something happen. Otherwise, you're going to get garbage. Of course. And, and gamers are so. I'm going to admit, gamers. Again, I'm picking on you guys who said this earlier. Gamers are such a finicky bunch. Like, oh, the game's $40. It's not worth $40. Oh, it's only $5. It can't be that good then. If it's only $5. It's only yeah. $2. It can't be that good. Like, what do you want? You know? Just just play the damn thing if it looks good. Just buy it if you can afford it and it looks good. You know? God. <laughs> I mean, $40 is not an unreasonable amount to pay for something that's going to give you dozens of hours of gameplay, of emergent gameplay. My God, that's not an unreasonable price, people. Sorry, that, that just really pisses me off when people bitch about well, how price. much. How much do they think they should be paying? Like, like, do they want? No, they all want it for free. They just want to get it for free. Oh my God, it's just it makes me so mad when people are like, "I don't want to pay this much for this." But do you understand how much work and time went into that, and people got to eat, and someone spent time making that for you? You know, I mean, we live in a capitalist society. God damn it. I'm sorry. It's just mm. like, I don't think your price for your game with what you're telling me, not only building a space station, but having this detailed personality sim with multiple personalities on top of it, that price does not sound unreasonable to me. But then it's just, oh, you get people like, I don't want to pay $40. Well, then don't. Go go pay your damn... if Ugh. you can Ziggy Stardust and make the mothership connection in this game Sorry, while I hugging just... an alien lava lamp, then <sighs> it's worth any amount of money. Honestly. Well, I was I was gonna ask from my next question from the era though. Was gonna out my next question was are there gonna be references to popular culture of the seventies? Like will you have, say, 
Benson visiting your show, visiting your station. Like or a, you totally need totally need like a pong machine. Do you have that'll I, be like the entertainment call? I'll, like, I'll write all these down. Well, I mean, are you going to have pop, like varied pop, like subtle pop culture references in characters or in visitors to your station or in objects? And then, like, I'm already seeing like what looks like an Atari cartridge being put. Yeah, that's that's the answer. So the place the place to do these references are are the visual assets because like everything else emergent, is emergent, and because like it's emergent, you can't have. Benson visiting the station right, because the guy that visits the station, the game's going to make up who that guy is and what his deal is. Right, right. I, I know. I was just citing like a bent like that kind of character. Like, oh you, yeah, sure. He's not yeah, named absolutely. Benson or something, but you see him like, oh okay, there's Welcome Back Cotter or something, you know. But it's not a Cotter, obviously. You know, <laughs> I was I was just wondering. But yeah, there there's so many little. I've just I I did watch this video a little while back, and there are a lot of little visual touches that hint to that kind of thing, which is great. Now, but my question is, I guess, because I'm I'm a I'm a UI nut. Uh, I'm I'm a nut for good usability. I'm a nut for a good user interface. And what I've seen in the video, even though you have these throwbacky like visuals and whatnot, you still see you still seem to have what looks to be a very clean functional UI on top of that, but still maintaining that look that like, like, like future past look, you know what I mean? So how much work is going into like maintaining that balance of maintaining the look, but also achieving good usability. Yeah, that's all. That's all Daniel, uh, the artist, and he's done like, a really good job with the desk and with the UI. And yeah, a lot of a lot of thought goes into it. I mean, the idea is that most games that you play, or most space games that you play, um, the UI just takes you out of the game. And then at some point, you're not even playing the game; you're playing the UI, and you're not even playing the game. You're playing the optimal mathematical path through the game through the UI because you know like oh you know I need to min max this thing and do this thing and then you're doing it through the UI. So we really wanted a game where like the player was immersed in the game world. And actually if there wasn't any cognitive dissonance between like do I play the game the way I want to play it or do I play the game like the way in which it's optimal to play. So like kind of the example off the top of my head is from a World of Warcraft or really any MMO. Where, like, if you're, like, a healer, you're not playing the game. You're, like, playing the bars. And, like, so many so many space management games kind of end up doing that, especially mm. at endgame. Where you're not playing the game. You're, you're clicking alerts. And then you're, like, playing the GUI. And at some point, it's not even about yeah. the game. It's just, like, you're, like, the, the, the bird that drinks the water uh, on, like, on the desk. Like, the, the dipper bird. You know what I mean? I agree. Now, so many games, especially 4X games, you're eventually just playing the UI. You're 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 moving you're you're moving a ship here, and you're hitting an end turn button, and it eventually feels rote. Yeah, you know? absolutely, and that's and that's the reason for doing the desk is that like all that stuff's fourth wall breaking. And if you want if you want to feel like you're in the game and playing the game, you need to spend a lot of time thinking about the UI that makes that happen the way that you want it to, right? Because there's all these subtle differences on, on how different types of UI can, you know, cause the player 
to, you know, feel different emotions or do different things. And, you know, you need to think about it. You just can't do like the default window skinning that, that everyone seems to, to favor now. Yeah. Like now does that make, does that add any kind of challenge to making the UI to, to, to make it like, cause you know, a lot of the, a lot of UIs we were just talking about is basically just an overlay, you know, an overlay yeah, over yeah. the game world, which is, you know, fine for the most part, but you guys are taking it multiple steps deeper by putting it in the world. So does that raise its own set of challenges to, to make it uh, not only functional, but actually um, consistent with the rest of its surroundings? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like an example is they have the, you can see it in, in the, the video that um, there's the ID cards for the characters, which are on the desk. Yeah. So like the thing that, we wanted players to be able to do was to kind of get an overview of their characters. Um, and if this were like a, a different game, it would just be like in a list, like in a menu somewhere. But for us, okay, we want a Rolodex and that Rolodex has ID cards. And then you should be able to like organize the ID cards like on the desk. So you could make your own little org chart if you want or lay them out spatially. Cause human beings are very spatial creatures. Like we, like we think in a 3d world. So it makes sense to have that metaphor also be in the game. But yeah, I think, absolutely. I think he needs challenges some, there too. I think your dude needs some like seventies desk toys. Up uh, on the desk too. Well, there is a like, thing. There's at least yes, a little together. And there's a bobble. There was a, there was a back reward for the Kickstarter to, to design one. Oh really? Um, oh, that's yeah, awesome. That was up there. So let's talk about your Kickstarter for a bit. Cause you guys did fairly well. Um, you weren't. You didn't win by the skin of your teeth. You actually, you know, passed re, passed reasonably well. So, uh, what would you say? Like, because we, I love learning about Kickstarter campaigns because they're such a weird thing. It's like marketing and sales and and game development and, and it's all these things in one thirty to sixty day shot. You know. Uh, so what would you say was like the biggest challenge you had, you guys had during the uh, Kickstarter campaign to, I guess, keep it engaging and to keep people coming in and, and uh, signing up? Uh, yeah. So uh, biggest challenge was lack of any mainstream coverage. I mean, you guys are probably the biggest coverage that we have. No, please don't tell me that because we're not that big. We're not. I big know, at all. but if we're, you look, if you look on, here. if you look on Alexa rankings, you guys are like the biggest or maybe one of the biggest. I mean, we only had three or four mentions anyway. Uh, and of those four mentions, you guys are seem like you have the most active community. See, this is, and, uh, I'm sorry. And that I, is so good. Oh no. So like, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing. You're right. Kickstarters are so interesting. Like there was a compared to ashes of creation that hit like 1 million on its first day or like 3 million now. And you look at what they have and it's like, it's amazing to me that, that they were able to like a game I had never heard of get like a million dollars, like, you know, in the first day. And really there's such a skill to running a Kickstarter yeah. and the skill is a mark. It's like a marketing PR skill. And yeah. if you're a marketing or PR person, you have the connections, you can call up whoever you want to call up because you have longstanding relationships with them. And, you know, get get the word out on social media to, to fund your thing or to plug your thing. If you don't have those connections, 
you know, then that's, I mean, that's not the skill that you have. The problem with Kickstarter is that um, it, it's 100% skewed towards people who know how to run Kickstarters. And it makes no difference at all whether you know how to make a game. And that's why so many Kickstarters end up, you know, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and failing is because, you know, the Kickstarter was the product, if that makes any sense. Like there wasn't a game, there was a Kickstarter and the Kickstarter was the product and they sold the product. And Uh, then that was what they sold. And they sold dreams and people accepted their dreams. And then then one day it was over. Have you bought any JPEGs? Of spaceships. Oh God, let's not. Uh, it kind of amazes me that that game, uh, what's like Ashes of Creation, is doing so well, given that there is definitely a noticeable Kickstarter fatigue going on with with people today. And, yeah, well, I'm sure they're they're whizzes at marketing. I mean, it's it's a really it's a legitimate skill. Like you can't yeah. if you it's have funny. a product, right? Yeah, it's funny. You I work in marketing, and I don't fully understand it. You know, it's like it's a, it's like it's its own beast. You know, it's- well, that's what that was what's crazy to us because we like we were grinding out that that 42k or whatever that we got from this. Um, and and you look at other Kickstarters where you know they they seem to to get hundreds of thousands or millions, no problem. And then you look at the team and you look at the game and you're like, there's nothing there. It's just it's just some ideas and some sketches. But yet they were able to get, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for ideas and sketches. And of course, they're not going to be able to deliver on it because what they're good at is selling ideas and sketches. So 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 like that's just the skill. Like that's the skill to be successful at Kickstarter. You must be right because I've noticed – sorry, let me just get this out, Jim. I've noticed that there are a lot of great-looking games – that have really good Kickstarter campaigns where they update it regularly and they have demos and they have good videos and they never, and they don't succeed. And it, I think you're hitting on a thing that I didn't even think about where the Kickstarter is the product. I didn't even think of that, but that's brilliant. Sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. I was just thinking about like the other deadly sin, which is, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's in your ballpark, right? Cause space station DF nine, um, where where it's like you early access it, but the Kickstarter money or early access pre-purchase is the like paycheck to paycheck living money of the development thing. So if the early access purchase rate declines, then suddenly you can't make payroll, and you you know you eject because that's what they ran into, right? Which what is- was well, what was the story? Oh, um, basically what was going on, cause they were selling, you know, alpha access to the game it was 24 95, you know, 25 bucks. Um, and then whenever people stopped buying it, cause everybody that wanted it had it. And they were basically using the money that came in as it came in to pay the development cost. And when the money dried up, then they were like, well, we can't develop it anymore because you guys quit buying it. Yeah, that's. Definitely yeah. a challenge. Yeah, another I mean, problem us, with sorry, I was going to say another problem with that particular game is that even though people were buying it, the uh, developers weren't showing a lot of work on the game itself. So it it didn't look that great for them that people were buying it and like there weren't a lot of updates, there weren't a lot of patches. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you another another little insight as well, which is to make to make a demo uh, that looks kind of reasonable. 
um, you know, might take a month or two. And then when you make the game, um, typically you want to scrap the demo and start over because the demo isn't designed to be a platform for a whole game. It's designed to be a demo. So that's, that's another thing that, um, to be aware of that just because, just because a demo exists doesn't mean that like they're going to build the game on top of the demo, right? Because a demo is like a proof of concept of what you can do. Very rarely is it like underlying foundational work. And, and this is also a problem in game development in general, where usually there's a push for um, marketing materials way before they're, they're ready, like in the game. So then you have to put some developers, take them off making the game and then put them on making the marketing demo. So to sell the thing that you're actually making, like that's something that happens all the time. And, and this is also true um, in, in the indie slash Kickstarter community where, you know, just because it's easy to make a demo doesn't mean it is all, it is at all stable enough or engineered well enough to put an entire game on top of it because you want to build, it's like building a house. You want to lay the foundation and then you want to put the beams and then you want to put the roof and then you want to paint it. And then you want to put on like all the little, all the little accoutrements. But like when you sell the house, what you do is you, you just put up one wall with nothing behind it. You paint that wall, you take a picture of that wall and you say, that's the house. But then when you make the house, you have to tear it down because there's nothing like there's no supports or foundation, right? You have to go back and lay those first. So that's kind of the same thing with making games. Yeah. And we, we've seen another thing happen too, which is, I, I think is the most tragic problem um, that has kind of befallen a you know, person that's been on the show before uh, where it's like, you make the game, right? It's, it's like you, you make the game that you said you were going to make, but in the, in the, toward the end of the development, it's like, okay, it's coming together, but it's not fun. Like yep. how, how do we inject fun into this? Like all these systems that we thought would be cool and they, and they work together, but it just doesn't catch fire. And, and th- at that point it's like, oh, well shit, you know, <laughs> you've, you've delivered on all the promises, but it doesn't really work. So, yeah. It's such a, it's such a tough thing because um, fun isn't really quantifiable. And, uh, there's so many times where the difference between something fun or something unfun is some stupid little gooey thing or some timer or some really quick fix. And other times it's like fundamental in the vision and, and you just gotta, I mean, you gotta like trust your instinct as a designer and kind of go forward because there's no way to know, like yeah. there's no way to know like which category you're under. And then even if it's not fun, you know, you kind of have to, to, to figure out, like, is it, is it like a cheap thing that's not doing it or, or not cheap thing? So I, I was working on, like, I'll give you a story about this. So I was working on an MMO and, um, there, there was going to be a MMO. Can you tell I, us? I don't, I don't want to name names. Okay. But, uh, there was a, uh, like, and there needed to be an internal demo, right? The managers needed to see what was, what was going on in the game. And currently there weren't any characters, and there weren't any animations. There was like just the combat system. And so they're playing it and they said, well, you know, this, this isn't fun, right? This isn't fun. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, imagine playing a combat system. You have no GUI. You have no animations. You have no characters. Of course it's not fun. 
even if those things aren't central to the combat, they're the things that that players need to have fun interacting with it. So that's that's the other side of it too. That you could have all of your like there, the fun could absolutely be in there, and then it's just a matter of all the things around it to bring it out and put it in front of the player. Yeah. Well, it's okay. So for you're you're from MMO land. Um, Elite Dangerous. How can uh, they fix that game? Oh, I, I haven't played actually. Oh, I'll I have a copy. I'll give you. <laughs> yeah, you will render uh, yeah. judgment. Like if, but okay. Well, the the problem that they've got is that the game is huge, right? And it's all random number generated. Too huge stuff. Too huge. And and it's too big to put a story in any one place. So, so they feel, I, I think really it's like, no, you just, you, you put a seed, like you start it somewhere and you get a story. And it's like, if you want, if you want to do the story, you come to that place and it starts and then it takes you all over the place. Right. But uh, they don't want like every, okay. So like world of Warcraft, right. If, if you're playing for the Alliance, you're going to have the same quests as everybody else that ever played for the Alliance. Right. And it's going to take you through the thing and it's, you know, so you don't. It's like, yeah, you're kind of a unique character, but you've you're the same hero of the same battle of of everybody else, right? Everybody is the chosen one. Yeah. And and here they want they want it's it's like no, the universe is a giant place, and not everybody is the one. So you know, some people are just average Joes that are out there. So it's like, well, we don't want to put a story out here. And then everybody comes and experiences the same story and, and is the hero. But the downside of that is nobody's the hero of anything because there is no story. Yeah. Like, you know? And, and it's like, God, how do you fix that? My, my personal thought is put the power in the player's hands, trust them and put in some story creation things that they can do in very micro scale, like just in one system, they could write some dialogue or something. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's. Yeah, maybe, um, you know, the, the difficulty or the Warcraft example is a good one because this is the, this is the problem with storytelling in the industry where it ends up being like a, a money problem because if, if it's a content driven game, then the solution is hire more writers, right? So like, you know, World of Warcraft, I don't know what their team size is, but I assume there were like dozens of writers like doing nothing but writing quests for years. And uh, that's, that's pretty much par for the course in any sort of story driven game. And then like that inflates the budget of these titles, which causes other problems. So mm-hmm. now like it seems to be, you know, just pay attention to the mainline story, put all the focus in there as like a cost cutting measure. Right. So like uh, in, and I guess Mass Effect is an example where like, there were just like just a small handful of endings. Right. So like nothing really mattered. And the reason nothing really mattered and there was just a small handful of endings was because like some guy has to sit down or some girl has to sit down and write like every little thing that happened. And if you want to branch your stories well, you want to tie them back together because those set pieces are expensive. Like those what? cinematics are expensive. You want, well, you want to get not, them out of the Well, not only that, but whenever you have an episodic game, you know, it's like, well, we have uh, game one and then two and then three. Well, where do you start game two? 
you have to pick up where game one left off, which means you have to make sure that game one leaves off in a defined place. Right. So it's like, well, I can't make a radically different decision than anybody else because it's going to come down to, you know, at, at the end, I'm going to have to stand in the exact same place that everybody else did. Yeah, exactly. And anything that you think is a choice is just cosmetic because if it wasn't, it couldn't be episodic. Yeah. Well, the thing that kills me with MMOs is, is the whole, um, like, okay, we go and we kill the dragon and I step out of the dungeon and the whole town's lined up and they're like, yeah, you're the hero. You killed the dragon. And then the dragon's back and the next guy steps in, <laughs> you know, yeah, dude. And, and it's like, nothing stays dead. Nothing changes the world. Um, but the, but in elder scrolls online, when it first launched, they tried, it, I think it was a valiant effort, but it, it unfortunately did not work because, whenever you'd go into a town, like the, the town's on fire, right? The bandits are invading and you do the quest and you kill the bandit leader and you chase all the bandits out of town. And then when you step out, the fires are all out and they're rebuilding. Right. Yeah. But somebody who hasn't got to that level of the quest is still in the instance of the town where it's on fire. I can't see him and he can't see me, but we're in the same party. That's a problem. Yeah. That's, but, that's the, the phasing solution, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot what the term was, but yeah, you're exactly right. That's the, the the term that they used. So the phasing thing didn't really work because you're walking with your friend and you cross an invisible line and they disappear. Yeah, it's and, it's really a, a context problem. So, uh, and this is something that we've you know dealt with in Astro Base Command as well as part of the personality system. Where when you think about like what gives something context. So in the MMO case, you were talking about the context is that like the dragon burned down the town and presumably like people are homeless. People are like running around scared or whatever. And then they're like worshiping the hero because the hero saved them. Right. These are all things that a designer would typically have to, to go in and do deliberately for each case to give everything context, not just each case, but every kind of combination of cases, which is where it starts mm-hmm. getting to cost a lot of money. Um, so yeah. the phasing solution was basically, Basically, how do we how do we make like a mainline thing where we can customize the experience for you because we're giving it context for you. And we don't have to worry about all the combinations because we phase those out. Uh, and then the next guy coming in gets the same thing, right? That's the phasing solution. Yeah, but it, that, at least it appears that the dragon stayed dead, right? So yeah. it's it's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I, I can allow that. But, the, but you have to have a way, the, like the way that they did it, where there's like an an invisible border that you cross and then somebody just evaporates in the thin air. That was kind of jarring. And it was like, I was playing that with my wife and she just, she ejected right there. You know, she was like, Nope, I'm done. Um, so, and then going back to fix that, another thing that they've done that kind of bugs me is whenever games don't have a difficulty level where, and and it's, it's the elite thing again too, right? Because, not specifically the sin that elite uh, has, but sort of, um, but it's a, it's a thing about carrot on the stick, right? So what am I playing the game for? If I'm, if there's not a narrative that I'm trying to get to the end of the narrative and you have to make it difficult enough for me to progress that I have to feel a challenge, right? That I'm overcoming things. And then you also have to like hand me a reward at, at a sufficient interval that I feel 
you know, that I'm, I'm making progress and it keeps the carrot on the stick. Right. And especially in a game that's subscription based, um, where you need people to stick around for months and years. Right. So you, you have to try to keep that relevant. Right. And keep the person, you know, engaged with it. Um, but God, you know, other than time sinking things, they have a hell of a time doing that because it's like the content in Warcraft. I could I could probably just plow through in a night if it wasn't for the grinding part of it. Um, you know, where, where you see that too, like they put a new expansion out, right? It's like, oh, we go from level fifty to sixty now, and then like by the end of the weekend, you know, like the hardcore guilds have already like ripped through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, absolutely. gosh, how do you how do you? And the, you can kind of fix that by trickling content out episodically right it's like we're going to increment the story every month so you better stick around for the next increment kind of deal yeah. um, well but, the, it, but it's the, the thing of, of it's the thing of keeping the challenge there so what elder scrolls online did is they said well it's a bummer that people can't play with their friends and one of one of the most heinous games for this is hunter and i tried to play the division the tom clancy thing if you're like two, three levels higher than somebody else, everything spawns at that person's yeah. level and really? it will one shot kill anybody that's lower level. Uh, right. yeah. So there's no, there's no, there's no auto balancing there. Yeah. So it doesn't bring them down to the low guy level. It doesn't bring the low guy up to the higher person's level. It's just like, so you're, like, you're going to deal in with Wars this. Two, in Guild Wars 2, if you do PVP, like you go in, everybody just gets like put at the same level and you go to town. Yeah, but yeah, that's problem, another the, solution. Well, the problem that that they did in uh, Elder Scrolls Online because they got rid of the instancing, the phasing thing, and and that's kind of better. Um, so I went back and I was playing it, and then they changed the, with the that last giant patch that they put out, um, where they said, okay, what we're going to do is on a per player basis, we're going to scale the monsters' difficulty. So you can take a level one character. And and he has a friend that's in the end game content. That friend can have him join the party, and he won't become level fifty. But the monster will, for him, will appear like it's level two. But for the level fifty guy, the monster will be level fifty. Then what's the and, point of progression? Right. That's that's the right? problem. And and I also don't feel any danger because there's no place that it's like oh I can't go there. Right. It's like yeah. I'm not ready yet. I need better stuff. Or I need to, you know, um, because it's just like, oh, well, cool, man. Take me to the end of the game. Well, the, the source of the source of all these problems, uh, I can pinpoint quite quickly, is that, you know, game designer is a dying profession, and what's being replaced by is banker, and that's and that's the answer. What? Ooh, so earn, but true. No, so so like games, uh, in to give an example. In the late 1990s, the cost of a AAA game uh, was about 500000 to a $1 million to get your AAA game. Now, you know, AAA games, there were games that crossed the, the half a billion dollar mark. And there was one game that, um, you know, sources said it was over a billion dollars uh, to make this game. And, uh, well, you know, if you're playing with that sort of money then every kind of decision that gets made in the game uh, has to be approved by the people whose, whose finances are on the hook for it. 
I guess is the way to say it, right? Right. Because you have to please a board of investors, not just follow. Yeah, you have to you have to make the business case for every design decision, and and you know you have to say, and it's not it's not like it's poorly intentioned because ultimately the ideas that you know customers vote with their wallet. If you give customers what they want, they'll buy it. And then everyone will be happy. The customer will be happy because they have a game. The corporation will be happy and so forth. The kind of the challenge is that, you know, a game is not a list of features that did well in other games. A game is a cohesive vision that, that is kind of, you know, assembled like, a, like, a, like any sort of crafted thing. It's, it's, a, it's a crafted work. And the money that's involved in the industry is such that, you can't approach it like a crafted work in triple a what you have to approach it like is like oh well you know this game had phasing and we think that it accounted for 15 percent of its subs and our metrics say that you know when this other game you know did a patch where they introduced monster scaling their sales number went up by 20 percent so you know that's why we're going to make this design decision and and that's that's just the reality of a triple A industry where games cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And that's, that's, that's the answer. And, and so, so game designer is, is a dying profession because game designers aren't the ones really making the decisions at those levels in triple A um, that they should be in, in my opinion. So do you think because of this switch from game designer to banker, we are heading for pretty much another video game crash at some point where there's just every game is going to be like every other game and everyone's going to be like, screw gaming, you know? And Yeah. So, so four years ago, I kind of predicted a crash and I thought it would have happened a lot sooner. Um, I thought there would have been a crash in the last four years and there hasn't been, but yeah, I feel like people are going to start going outside, like watching Netflix because it's, it's, when, when I look at the games and try and buy them or play them, like I don't feel the same sort of satisfaction that I used to. Like I remember playing games of my childhood where there weren't even like genres yet. Like every game was like a new experience and you had, you had like no idea what this experience was going into it. Like when you played Doom for the first time, that was literally the first 3D shooter or two and a half yeah. D shooter, right? Or you played like, or, or you played Warcraft 1, like, you know, that was the first RTS game. Or you played Master of Orion 1. Or you played Fallout or uh, XCOM. Like, these are all, you know, genre definers because, you know, you you had, like, a new experience and it had value value to you as a new experience. And now every game just seems to be like a rehash of games that, you know, previously were successful. So it's just cloning the clones. Or, or they were just they just do straight up multiplayer and don't even worry about trying to rehash what's already been done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they take a stock story, you know, and they skin it like we're going to have a shooter, but we're going to sh- skin this shooter in this IP that we just bought, <laughs> and that's the game that we're going to make, right? And then I feel like at some point, yeah, there there kind of has to be like something's got to happen. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to be a crash anymore, but it's certainly. Like it's something because when I wrote that article, like I wrote an article that a crash was going to happen and then it, it never happened. But like four years a, ago, I need a link to that article. I'll yeah, trade you articles because, on, because uh, I wrote one too. Correct. Yeah. And like at the time there was like, you could pre-order DLC for a game that wasn't even released yet. 
And then yeah, like, it's still a thing. Right? And then like there were games that launched and at launch they had 90 Metacritic. And the reason they had 90 Metacritic was because the, the you know, the Ubi, EA or whoever made the game, you know, has the journalists that they work with and they get the good reviews. They have a 90 Metacritic. And then like six months later, it's like a 40 Metacritic or a 30 Metacritic. So clearly there was a lot of disappointed people. And so like, I thought that was going to be a crash, but so far customers are still buying garbage. So who knows? This is where, this is where I personally see it going because I I think that a lot of, a lot of people are right. I just think that the date kind of keeps getting moved back, right? Like judgment day, you know, time is being altered and judgment day keeps getting moved back. It, uh, the, I I still think that something's going to happen, but it's not going to be in the way that we think it's going to happen. We're going to send Mecca Sid Mir back in time. (laughs) Well, no, like what I, what I mean by that is like, for example, the, the idea on how gaming is viewed is going to drastically change how we consume gaming because, and it's already, it's already happening. Like it's already begun. You know, I, I feel like the idea of a console is slowly starting to go away over time. And like, the excitement and the thrill that I used to think of and see when I would see something like E3 or PAX or something like that, like that kind of thing. It's just like, oh, f- freaking E3, it's another year of big disappointments. Here we go. As we <laughs> before, it used to be like E3, I used to be excited for it. Like circa 2002, 2003, like yeah. there was a lot of really interesting stuff. Now like, all you, now the only though, reason you watch E3 is to make fun of the, uh, the big uh, conferences. You right. Know. And, and, and like, you know, even though we were in like a space game, like hiatus during that time, it was still an exciting time for gaming. Right. Mm-hmm. Just in general. Yeah. And, and like now you see there's, there's no, I don't, I don't see any company loyalty anymore. Like the idea of a fanboy to me is slowly dying maybe for better or for worse. I don't know, but like there's, there's really no brand loyalty anymore except for with Nintendo. You either well, love them or you hate them, right? Like, well, especially really now that the is. consoles are croaking off, and it right, and that's that's exactly what I mean. Like the 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 idea of of like Windows now, I can I can cross play most Xbox games that are going to start coming out. Uh, PlayStation has very little like first party titles just for the PlayStation that are remotely interesting. There's like maybe two or three that are good, but other than that, like like I, I hate to say it, but it's it's hard to push future sales when you've only got a couple handful of of like really solid first party titles and so these machines these xboxes and these playstations are essentially customized super customized gaming pcs that's exactly what they are yeah, it's exactly there except they're less useful because you can't surf the web on them do <laughs> well, you know, sure you know sure, what could but- save the industry right now is commodore and atari if they came back then we could have that. We could get that flame war going again about which is cooler. Did you see Atari? Aren't they, aren't <laughs> they kind of bad? Well, I, they I still, kind of, I kind of personally of? think though, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get back, you know, if, if we're gonna get the excitement of gaming again, these these AAA companies, and, and unfortunately, I don't think it's gonna be the indie guys. Even though the indie guys, like yourself, put out some really good product, I, I, it, I don't think the indie guys are gonna be able to save it. Unfortunately. I it's think they've not, been keeping it on life support. You know, we, don't, we don't have yes. the money. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. I think, how, yeah, how but gonna, uh, but uh, if you had the money, then you'd be as bad as they are, though, right? Because then you'd be beholden to whoever gave you the damn money. 
well, instead of the backers. Can you can you blame some of these companies though for being bought out back in the day? Like, I mean, the fact that Activision owns Blizzard just mind boggles me. Can you like think about that for a second? Yeah, like Vivendi owns all of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, right? You know, right. like like who had who had the yeah it, it's 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 a bit nutty right and now what you see happening like is with blizzard blizzard has their own store right and, and their own launcher it's going to be the you know the blizzard launcher formerly known as BattleNet. so they're going to pull they've already got their games in there but god destiny's coming out and because it's an activision thing it's like how long until call of duty comes out from blizzard I, I think monster. I personally yeah, think that's I, th- I personally think that's like a very specific scenario though. Oh, I don't. And I, and I, I, I think I don't. Yeah, I don't it works because they, I, dude. Mm, why would you give thirty percent of your money to Steam? Why do you want Gaben to get like more donuts? Well, I mean, do do you think they're really hurting considering that they're still selling Black Ops two for like fifty bucks or something like that? Well, like it's. I don't think they're hurting, but dude, they, if you give me another thirty percent raise, I'll take it. Yeah, right? that's. Uh, Steam kind of has you over a barrel, but at the same time, it could be a lot worse because before there was Steam, like you had no chance as an indie getting anyone to buy your stuff because you had to go negotiate with like a CompUSA to put your game on its shelf. And if they didn't know who you were, then you, know, yeah, and you had to play, pay for like physical media, like printing, mm-hmm. yep. a lot of that, that that brings up my my final point to this is the the idea of of like the excitement because I agree with you the 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 way I play games now I do not nearly get as excited or interested anymore mainly mainly because maybe it's because I'm older and it's like for each phase of life there's a new season but like at the same time hmm. I'm still still trying yeah I, I was still chasing that, that dragon we're still chasing <laughs> that dragon yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's oversaturation is the the issue here. But, but yeah, yeah, I think I think I think that's the then that's what it boils down to. And the oversaturation and the lack of strong, solid narrative for games from yeah. these bigger companies. Yeah. That's what I think is really missing. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, sorry, go ahead. Too many it's multiplayer, it's, too many battle arenas, too many MOBAs. Yeah. Too much so like, multiplayer stuff. Like I, I remember when I would get a game from Egghead Software and put it in my backpack and ride home with it all the time thinking about, oh, this game is going to be sweet. And like popping it in and installing it would be the best thing ever. I'm still chasing that. installing, you're like rubbing the manual. Yeah, on you're like what, reading the manual. <laughs> like the, the anticipation is getting higher as you read the manual while it's yeah. installing, while you're fl- flipping floppy disks from one from one drive to the other. And, and it's like there there is not that there is not that surprise anymore really you're absolutely right that there's not that Click, excitement download. anymore well yeah cuz cuz any kind of triple a game the hype train starts rolling like 2 years ahead of time and then the pre-orders come in you know like a year and a half out or whatever and and it's just like dude you got to get hype and then uh the disturbing thing that i see cuz you you'd mentioned about pre-ordering dlc um battlefront I think was leading the charge and then battlefield one, of course sealed the deal where, where it's like, okay, if you want to buy the Uber pack for the $129, then you'll get all the DLC because we're going to split the game into, into four uh, sections. Basically. Yeah, do you, do you see what I mean by bankers being the new designer? Oh yeah. That's, that's all it is. But, but to, to speak about the excitement, like, it's, it's absolutely true that the more money that's involved in something, the more risk averse everyone is. And, you know, innovation is risky. 
And, you know, lots of studios used to fail because their, their game didn't pay off and they went out of business. And that's being hedged by, you know, do something that, you know, has been proven market, been a proven market success. So the word, the word that I hear all the time is benchmark in the sense that we want to take benchmarks from other games, right? So like, you know, you want to, you want a combat system. Well, we're going to benchmark WoW's combat system or you want this and we're going to do this. And like, that's how the conversation gets started. Actually, the conversation gets started is, you know, we're positioned in the marketplace to make a game of, and we want to make like space games are hot right now. Actually, Mars is hot right now. So we're going to, and this is true. Mars is hot right now. So you're going to see a lot of games about Mars because Mars it's is summer hot. summer on Mars. Right? And like, not only is Mars hot, but, you know, sandbox games are hot. So you're going to see a lot of sandbox games on Mars. And, uh, or colony building sandbox games. Um, or space, space games are actually making comeback too. And uh, so like, this is kind of how the conversation gets started to make a game, which is not like how it should be. Because how it should be is someone who's like a professional game designer says, I have this really great idea about a game that like comes from, you know, that, that space within me and I want to get it made. So I'm going to convince other people that it sounds like a cool idea and let's make this awesome game. Not like the, the Hollywood model of like, like we need a summer blockbuster that hits these five bullet points. And that's why games aren't exciting because they don't come from excitement. Like the design guarantee you the designers making them and the, the everyone making them isn't excited about it. Because well, like, and, who, who could be? Well, then, uh, so you see something like with Star Citizen, right? Because space games, That's how I was space games up. were just flatline, right? There's no such thing as a space game. And then Chris comes out and, you know, like boils up all that money. And then everybody else on the street, like in the boardrooms, right? They're like, space games are hot. Look at all yeah. that money that he just made. People are willing well, to throw money at this shit. Make space games. Here's the interesting thing about the Star Citizen thing that I was going to bring up is, you know, with the whole more money risk averse uh, topic that was brought up, what my, my thing is, is what happens or what if somehow Chris Roberts actually does it? You know, I'm not holding my breath and I'll be and I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of it. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also there's like a glint of hope in the very far back of my mind that says, what if he actually pulls it off? It may not be in the time frame that he said it was going to be, but maybe in the next couple of years, it actually comes out, and it's like the hottest game ever. Well, as you long know. as we continue to plug it, or as long as we continue to fund it, he will continue to plug away at it. Yeah. But the fear is the DF, the the um, space station DF nine problem, where okay, yes, he has raised one hundred and fifty million. How much does he have on hand? Like how much have they burnt through because he had like five studios crank and he, he, he decided to make a, like a major Hollywood motion picture in the middle of the damn thing, you know, and, and it just like was just eating money. So I would like to know what the bank balance is now, right? Because if it turns into a situation where they're, they're living hand to mouth trying to pay payroll and they have to keep selling JPEG ships to do it, then well, they can't let that be known because consumer confidence would would immediately crash dive and nobody would be giving them money and then they're dead, right? So you can't admit that if that is the case. But it's it, it, it's it like is. a weird catch twenty two, right? You know, it's it's like I think if you do a Kickstarter like that, 
it's almost like, hey, you were publicly funded, therefore your books need to be public because we need to know where the damn money went. Show me the money. Well, I mean, like a small thing. Okay, well, you know, $100,000, whatever, right? That's not extreme. But when you're up to $150 because they, they broke the $150 million mark like a week or so ago. When, when you're $150 million into it, at that point, I think you need like public accountancy, right? <laughs> you know, like show us the books, like how much. They're, how they're much never going to do that. Oh, like, of course that's, not. That's, I, that's I, not. When you got $150 million, I think the mob calls and says, hey, um, you know, you want, you want us to hold that for you? But that's really not a whole lot of money in game development. I mean, that's, that's uh, an average MMO. Yeah, well, is Star Citizen an average MMO? No, it's trying to be a innovative in ten different ways MMO by people who, you know, maybe aren't MMO developers. Yeah, so well, of course it's going to run out. Well, and the and the thing like with Elite is it's like let's take a single player experience. If you would make it co op, okay. So um, let's use Skyrim as as a perfect example. Skyrim slash Fallout Four. Um, take that game, and you say okay, we're going to make this a multiplayer experience. If you make it an MMO, you get a watered-down thing that nobody's happy with because it's no longer the game that it was. Yeah. But if you make it co-op, like small co-op, like four people, right? you, you do like a Borderlands scale of multiplayer with it, well, you can stay true to the original thing, and you have the hero, but it's just like four people that are the hero collectively. right? Yeah. It's still the hero's journey. Um but whenever you do something like Elite, where it's like, man, we're gonna we're gonna put you know hundred thousand players in this universe that's so big they'll never even see each other, um, then that you know you sacrifice so much of of what could be done one to one with a player that narrative stuff like I was talking about where it's like if you're playing online with a hundred thousand people, you don't want any one person to be the hero. But if you're playing alone or with a couple friends, yes, absolutely, your group can be the hero. Um, so I think whenever you MMOify something, you lose what it was, and it just becomes an MMO at that point. And I, and that's where I feel a lot of these games, uh, you know, Star Citizen, Elite, whatever, um, they're going to suffer mightily because of that. Mm. And like, imagine Grand Theft Auto Five, if it was nothing but the online mode and there was no single-player thing, then that would be a shell of a game, right? It's still yeah. fun in, in multiplayer, but the single-player experience is a bajillion times better. So, But the, uh, the, the thing you guys are talking about, like the crash and, and such, and then Star Citizen and stuff, I hope to God that Star Citizen does not fail, because upon that hinges a lot of the consumer confidence in the whole crowdfunding thing, because it's going to be the story that everyone will talk about forever. It will just, it will just be like $150 million and, you know, collapsed, right? Where's the money? Here's the scandal. It'll, it'll be, um, it'll be like the, uh, what the baseball guy, Kurt Schilling, was it with the, with the MMO and then it turned into a single player, game that they were making Kingdoms of Amalur. Yeah, yeah Kingdoms of Amalur with the lawsuits are still going right how long do you think the lawsuits are going to crank on Star Citizen like it'll be amazing 
and uh, I think the fallout from that, because as as we've discussed about the uh, the game space above a certain amount of money, once you're into venture capital stuff and that, then you're you're it's game designed by a committee of investors, right? So at that point, when the investors get jittery because there's nothing but talk about this giant, you know, problem. Um, then the investors are going to yank back and then you're going to have trouble getting any game funded, even at AAA level. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to get tighter, right? Like Activision, those guys, they're not going to die or anything, but I bet they're going to close half their studios because there's not going to be the, the willingness to take any kind of risk. Mm. Right. Um, so I think that that's maybe your collapse, right? And it's not going to kill off the indie people. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that the ecosystem has not closed instead. Like whenever we saw the windows store start coming up Oof. and it was just like, Oh God. Right. And Gaben even started shoring up the, the castle, right? It was like, okay, we're going to Linux. We're going to get plan B. And luckily that didn't come to pass. So you see that the whole steam OS Thank thing God. is no longer spoken of. Um, well, it was a boon to the Linux people that, that wanted to play games on that. Cause it actually got first party driver support that's nice that people have that option yeah vulcan vulcan is a thing and it's a hot thing of what yeah vulcan it it needs to have and it needs to happen on both pc and it's vulcan is a replacement for direct x what what so so essentially vulcan i think also vulcan can utilize multiple graphics cards from various vendors it doesn't have to be like yeah supposedly i don't i don't remember the details on that, but I do know Vulcan is a thing and it replaces because, because DirectX is so proprietary to uh, Microsoft Yeah, that if you can now start developing Vulcan and if like other OSs support Vulcan, you can start playing games literally on anything else now. Yeah. That'd be amazing. So, so that'll be, that'll be unifying, right? So that one, one thing before you go, um, but so, <laughs> so the, well, yeah. no, I was just saying it because he was about to say something, but, I, but it's, it's like, I want to get this in to, to close what I was saying. Yeah, so let's build into this. Um, so what I'm looking at as far as like the, the drawing back of the investor stuff is if you look at the collapse of Atari in the eighties, cause you know, you're from them, right? So what happened was the video game market, the investors lost confidence and it was a problem that was due to quality in the marketplace because there was no co- there was no quality control. Anybody could make any kind of bullshit Atari cartridge, right? The quality became very untrustworthy, and these things that are at retail, some of them were were like worse than the most terrible flash game, right? And at that point, then the market was flooded with a bunch of nonsense, and it was really tough for the actual quality titles to shine through. And even some of the first party stuff stunk. And then all it took, it was like ET came out and it was just like, Oh God, even the first party can't make a good game now. And the, it just like the investors, it wasn't, it wasn't like people got sick of video games and quit spending money on it. It was actually like consumer confidence got felt by the, by the investors and the investors said, we see consumer confidence faltering. Therefore, we see the end is near for this and we're out. And, you know, it's like a Mark Cuban, you know, it's like, hey, I love the games, but I'm out. So uh, that's that's kind of the thing that I see is like a repeat of the 80s thing, because we have so much trash in the market right now. And then even the 
the first party stuff, the AAA stuff, is stretching it too hard because they're milking us too hard. Um, and then releasing buggy, oh God, you know, like uh, Mass Effect 4. Whew, Lord. Um, that was a, a terrible move on their part. Didn't but do the why industry. Why hasn't it happened yet? Why do you think? Cause like, I, I, because like, all the four years ago. What? It's because of you. Because there are actually great indie things that are happening. And there's occasionally some AAA greatness that comes out. But that is also there. Like they it's could life make, support. They could make the shittiest Call of Duty game, right? And and by and some they accounts, do. they did, right? <laughs> like I loved the last one. I was Hunter and I. I think were the only people on Earth that liked the last one more than any of mainly those. because we didn't care about the other ones. Yeah, because we didn't give a shit about the multiplayer. Because it's like I've been there, I've done that. I could play any of them. It's the same experience, right? It's the same. It's the same iterative. Over and over and over, the multiplayer never changes. And but that's what people are there for. But it's like, why do you keep buying it? It's the same thing. Well, the reason I had to buy it is because the new one came out, and everybody left the one that's two years old and went to the new one. So if I want to continue to play it, I have to ante up. But if everybody had stayed at the old one, then there would be no reason to buy the new one. So the only reason people bought it is because it was there. And the crowd started trending in that direction. Um, but, you know, I, I just I don't see in the iterative ecosystem of like, hey, we're going to make an Assassin's Creed every year. We're going to make a Call of Duty every year. We're going to make a Madden every year. Right. And, it, and it's like, well, what actually gets changed in these? Why is the experience better? Well, it's not really. Yeah, I it's, find it's myself. Just, I find myself yeah. telling people more and more that like games are a waste of time and you shouldn't play them. But like really this is because that's the games that are out there. So yeah, totally agree. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, th- I think the reason is like you see things that come through. Well, like we had, a, we got a big burst of, uh, of the whole walking simulator genre that popped up. Right. And I don't think that'll be, a, it'll be around in some way, but I don't think it's going to be like, as many games coming out. Right. But it, but it was, um, you know, like life is strange and, the the other one where the girl goes home and, you know, whatever, but it, but it's, it's stuff where it's like you walk around an environment that there's nothing but narrative, right? There is no combat. There is no anything but the story. And that's cool, man, for people that dig the story thing. And, and I can tolerate that a lot more than like an interactive text novel kind of thing which there's a bunch of that crap on steam um it but it's but it's like okay that's fine right and the 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 whole vr thing i'm very nervous about vr because everything about vr right now well that star trek game that came out today in fact um that's the first thing i've seen in vr that actually makes me say i want to play a modern vr thing the only reason i want yeah. VR is to play my old stuff but the thing is those there's people that are still not feeling it like that have tried it have their hands on it and after a while it's like you know it's not much it's from what i've read and from what i've been seeing and the reviews i've seen it's not much different than like artemis except for it's just in vr like literally the scenarios there's only like a handful of scenarios oh well and and the way that they're selling it of course is they had everybody come to their 
their press event, right? And and hey, we, we have like a, a room set up for doing right. this, and we're gonna have like you know all the bloggers and the and right. the YouTubers. But how and many stuff people here. have that kind of setup? You know, I right? Mean, well, it's gonna be hard to do, right? We've already got we've already got Pulsar, and we've already got Quintet, and we've already yeah. got you know. So it's just like the games already exist that that do what it does. And yeah. you can play Pulsar with VR kit. Like there's a VR kit for it. Like you can, like, yep. it, <sighs> true. But it, but it ain't Star Trek. It doesn't look and taste and smell like Star Trek. And this thing does. So does that's it? gonna. Does yeah. it? <laughs> well, does it looks it? like JJ Trek. JJ Trek. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Abrams Trek. The Kelvin more, more timeline. So any, look Kelvin more so than time. anything else on the market. Right. It's got brand. All right, and you can't dispute Bridge, brand. Star Trek Bridge Simulator looked like Star Trek, but it was it was shit too. Well, but they sold yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. So see, but that's my point. Yeah. It doesn't matter if your game is good; it just matters if it's going to sell. And if you look at the numbers of Call of Duty, the the last Call of Duty was the worst selling Call of Duty ever, was and it? they still made four billion dollars. Really? So really, how bad do you feel? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like we can make a pile of shit; people are going to buy it. And we're going to still make a, a ton of money. But when people quit buying it, right, then the, the industry will panic. And all it takes is like a mass consumer boycott, which you can't do, right, because you can't get that many people to actually act as a unit about anything. Um, but, it, you know, if somehow by some quirk of the universe, like a quarter of the people that traditionally would have bought Call of Duty just skip the next one. They're not on the hype train you know, whatever. And the YouTubers could do it, man. If the YouTubers decided like, Hey, we're not going to hype train this thing. Sorry. Then it would be dead because game press is dead. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's Mm. dead. And, uh, and it was killed by the YouTubers. Like, you know, video killed the radio star. Right. Um, and then YouTubers have the power now. They just don't realize it. But why would they boycott it? If they get, if they get paid to do it. Well, yeah, see, that's the problem. (laughs) it's the snake that eats its own tail here right it, it's just like and but the consumer is just like okay i'll buy it okay <laughs> you know? well something, and, something else is that i don't think kids today know the difference between good and like what is a good quality product and what is a bad quality product and it's like it's Grandpa, like did you oh, just say kids today yes yeah. get off my lawn it's well, the, no, it's, it's true because you postmodernist movement. It's like nothing's good and nothing's bad. Everything is well you know, in a world of digital distribution way. and like instant gratification. You know, you just you know when when something is more or less just a download away. Why why should you know why should you know you've got an endless amount of entertainment at your fingertips? Literally, the internet is in your pocket everywhere you go. So it's like you know. They just, you know, they keep buying stuff until they find the one that they like more. <laughs> and the and the refund policy makes that very easy. But but that's you know that's a reaction to consumer aversion. Steam didn't do it because they're nice people. They did it because they felt like some consumer backlash of like, well, people are really hesitant to buy these games. Let's give them a reason to be less hesitant because the the uh, the um, retention rate on that will be probably 75% or better, even on something that's bad, which proves, you know, true. Like we've had discussions in the developer channel about what's your retention rate. And, and 
yeah, 16, 18% seems to be the norm on returns, even for a great game. So it's like, you know, what one guy was like, man, I feel bad. Like, you know, I got like 16% refunds. And then this other guy that's got like an ace game is like, dude, yeah, I got the same. Don't, you know, <laughs> it's like perspective, right? They got to talk to each other. And then, it, um, but it's like, yeah, but I, I think it's a thing of like that loosens up the consumer's inhibitions a little bit because it's just like, well, I'm going to throw 30 bucks down this hole. I hope this doesn't suck. Right. And, also, like people would rant a lot harder if you permanently lost that money on a bum deal. But if I get something and it sucks, I, I just refund it and I say, "Yeah, I refunded it. It wasn't my one my bag." But I don't have to go on the forum and like rant up a shitstorm either. Um, so it kind of calmed the waters a lot too. So I think it was it was a wise marketing move on the Gabin's hands there. So, uh, on that fun note... <laughs> but it only staves off the sweet meteor of doom for just a few more years. No, I think we'll be fine, but I think I think it's going to become like... Buy all your games now, folks. Get a lot more powerful. Buy them all this. now and back them up. <laughs> well, it's like whenever they say, like, oh, the studio got closed, it's a tragedy. It's like, yeah, maybe not, you know? Because if the people are good, they're going to stay in the industry and they'll get picked up elsewhere. And that's fine. So, you know, you got to kind of call the herd now and then. And also these people that get in studios and uh, they work for AAA and then the studio gets bought or closes and they don't agree or whatever. And they eject and then they have the skills because they've done it in, in AAA and they go out and make something badass. Right. Rebel Galaxy. Let me throw a name out there. Mm. Right. Like they made that. Right, that crap wouldn't have happened if those guys didn't have the history that they did. You know? Everspace. So, yes. Same exact sort of story. Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that part of the indie thing, when when really talented people just eject out of out of the you know the cubicle farm and say, you know, I could do this for my damn self. I don't need to do this for the man. Well, and that's what do. we did. That's beautiful. Yeah, and you guys are heroes for that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I would just say we're, we're guys with an idea for a game. Well, it, we appreciate the idea for your game. And speaking no, no, of you're, which, you're heroes oh. unless you fail, and then we never knew you. Who are you again? Speaking of your game, <laughs> when can we actually play the thing? Uh, yeah. So our our current kind of uh, roadmap that we haven't discussed post Kickstarter. So I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but we're more or less, I don't know, very close to feature complete. So I I say the, the approximately a month or two away from, from feature complete in terms of like Adam, the coder finishing the programming for it. And then you figure there's another, another month of bug fix and polish. Um, So really we're looking at the summer late summer to getting kind of a playable out that we can put in the hands of players. Like right now what you're seeing, you know, for example, there's, there's two, we have like two development branches. So it's typical when you do like a large programming project, you have like your main branch and then you fork stuff off uh, to like do like certain features. And then at the end of it, you have to like merge everything back together. We're kind of in that. So like all of the different features are kind of there in some form, but they're not, uh, they're very raw. They're not bug fixed. 
um, and they're, you know, in different places in the repository and they have to be put all together. So we're looking at, we're looking at the summer definitely um, to have something, some playable that we can at least um, give to, to someone maybe. I'm looking forward to playing it. Damn right. Well, let's wrap this up. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, So your game is Astro Base Command. You can, even though the Kickstarter wrapped up, uh, you can still buy in. So when the alpha does go live, you'll be there. And that's forty-two dollars Canadian, which is about as they as uh, Dave said earlier, thirty-one dollars American. Which yeah, not a bad price for a game. You know, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's how that's the value they feel their game is worth. So don't question it, <laughs> please, because God, um. But Dave, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and talking to us, not just about the game, but uh, your insight into the industry and Kickstarter and everything, I think, m- speaks just as well of you as if you talked about just the game for the entire hour and a half. You know what I mean? So uh, Thanks, yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's a passion and a love that definitely comes through. That might not have as evi- that might not have been as evident if we had just stuck to the game. So even though we went on a wild ass tangent there for a while, uh, it was a good tangent, and I want to thank you for coming along with us um, because it was a great tangent. Um, Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, so just a couple programming notes, folks. Uh, again, I'm sorry that I haven't uh, told the winners of the contest who they are yet because I haven't chosen you, but I will. Uh, don't worry. I've just been very busy, <laughs> but I will get to you. I promise. So, uh, on Thursday for the land party, we're going to be returning to an old favorite Drox operative. We're going to be, uh, doing some co-op of that for an hour or two. So that'll be a lot of fun. That game is also a lot of fun. And then next week on the show, we're having an early show because our guest is overseas. Uh, I don't remember where France somewhere, maybe, uh, Germany, somewhere over there, uh, <laughs> way over there. Uh, next week we're going to be talking to the folks behind the very freelancery MMO, uh, Sirius online is who we're talking to next week. I'm going to have a lot of questions for them because last time I played their game wasn't great. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't great. Yeah, it's a UI thing, right? It's not just that. It's like, like I was playing the tutorial and in the middle of it, it just stopped. Like the tutorial just like stopped giving me instructions in like the middle of a thing. It's like, okay, what do you want to do next? Hello. So, uh, it, they're still working on it. It's still early access, but yeah. So I have a lot of questions for them. Um, so join us for that and that's it. So again, Dave, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about all this stuff, not just your game, but all this great stuff. There's a lot of good fodder in this episode, folks. And again, the game is Astro Base Command. I believe that is astrobasecommand.com. And you can buy in, so even though the Kickstarter ended, you can still get it when it hits uh, virtual shelves in a couple of months, roughly, right? Maybe, Alpha. Maybe, a couple of months, uh, Alpha-ish, early, pre-Alpha-esque, <laughs> these words are losing yeah, their meaning. Let's, let's not make commitments. Yeah, these words are losing their meaning anyway. Like, people are buying an alpha thinking it's a full game. Like, no, that's not what that means. 
Uh, yeah, it means we're we're indies, and we gotta <laughs> we gotta make payroll. Also, if you would like to support our gaming doomsday cult, we have uh, a Kickstarter. Uh, we should come up with a name for that <laughs> name and a, a Latin phrase and a yeah. coat of arms and a <laughs> veritas or something. All right, folks, uh, that'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Have a great one. Bye bye. Thanks so much.